Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, those of you who uh, have someone going to Imago Arts Camp have just seen a couple of artists who will be at our camp this week. And so um, if you haven't signed up, yeah, thank you. If you haven't signed up, maybe that will uh, let you see. Oh, I should have. So um, I think there's probably still room, and um, we're looking forward to it. So um, um, I want to welcome you. Make sure that those of you who maybe have just kind of slipped in between uh, greetings or whatever know that we're glad to have you here today. Um, You've probably been involved in some activities this week, so have I. Um, Every year on 4th of July weekend, we have um, Camp Clem at our house, which means that all these tents get put up in our yard, and uh, we live on Willamette Boulevard, and people think we're trying to do our own form of Occupy Willamette. And um, anyway, we have over 20 um, grandkids and kids and cousins that all show up, and um, my wife fortunately for her, went to work last week in Seattle, so um, I was there all alone, and so I'm really glad to be here with you today. <laughs> uh, it, it, was a, it was a fun time, but uh, you know, all the kids, when they were leaving, said, so we're on for next year? I said, oh, man, get too soon. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think we'll probably do it next year, but I definitely need some recovery time. Uh, the other thing that's kind of weird is that yesterday, you know, when it was overcast, I thought... I've got to get out and do some yard work before it gets 90 again. When did anybody in Oregon ever say that? It was usually I got to get out there before it rains again. So it was just, it's just kind of been strange. I was out doing some yard work yesterday and I rubbed my eye and I'm going, wow, that hurt. And then I started realizing that the day before I was trying to make some salsa with uh, habanero peppers and I cut them, you know. Um, the reason I bring that up is not just because I've completely lost my mind. It's because uh, uh, that's a very small thing that just has a residual oil to it, you know. And as we're looking in the book of James and we dive into chapter 3 today, um, James tries to bring out the idea that there's this very small thing called the tongue, but it has huge ability to impact and actually uh, set lives in directions. And he uses an analogy of a rudder. Uh, to kind of make that point so that he's saying pay close attention to this small thing called the tongue and, and, and how it might be used in your life or just not even guarded in your life. So that's where we want to look today. Um, in chapter one, our big idea was that there's going to be hard times and a good God and faith works at trying to figure out how to reconcile those in life. In the second um, Uh, chapter, we looked at the idea that there is a faith that we're supposed to be able to articulate. But if all we do is articulate it and there isn't any incarnation of it or living it out, then we have good reason to question whether or not the faith that we think we have is the faith that we're invited to with God. And so today we look at that same idea of faith and that it speaks And it doesn't just speak something that's good. It actually is uh, something that more or less reveals what's on the inside. 
And so I just want to work through some of these verses with you today in James chapter 3. So I'm going to start with the first couple of verses there. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many things. Anyone who is uh, never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, it's kind of a startling thing for James to start out by saying, many of you shouldn't be teachers. And, and his warning really isn't the danger of teaching. His warning is because he's, he's picking, uh, in a sense, one of the groups, especially in the early church, that was in the forefront of forming their faith. And these faith-forming teachers, he's saying, I want you to understand how important it is because you have the ability to use a tongue. And so he takes a prominent position to emphasize the small uh, instrument, the tongue, uh, being able to say, as you work with your speech, you actually have the ability to steer people the right or steer people the wrong way. And as we start to look at the idea of our lives, it isn't simply just being Bible teachers or being the person up front here, because several of you could probably go, okay, check, got that one done. I do not aspire to be a Bible teacher. But the idea is be careful how you use your tongue. And he goes from many of you should not be teachers or aspire to be teachers to putting himself in the equation and saying, because we all stumble. And then he goes on, you know, in that second verse to talk about the idea that um, anyone who could not be at fault is perfect. So he's saying we all stumble, no one's perfect. So he's not calling for us to live a life that we cannot live. What he's inviting us to is to examine the life we're living and be able to look at it in terms of how am I using my tongue as an instrument that, that reveals my faith. So as we kind of uh, look at that, in, in a sense, he says you're perfect. Now, that perfect has already been used in chapter 1 where he said, when, you consider it trial, when you're in trials, consider it joy because the testing of your faith will bring you to a place of maturity and to completion. And, and the word there in many translations is perfect. And so there's this hope that we're going to be perfect, but it's not perfect like Faultless is perfect like complete, perfect like integrous, perfect so that there aren't pieces that, that somehow you wish weren't part of your life, but a life that fits what you see your life being. So um, if you were looking at the idea of tuning a piano, there's um, usually a note that you start with, um, uh, you know, right in the middle of the piano, you tune that note, and then you start to tune other notes, both using uh, an outside source like a tuning fork, but you also use the relation to the other keys you've already tuned. So that when you play the piano that's perfectly tuned, it isn't just a matter that each note hits precisely, but it's each note complements the other notes, and they've been tuned together uh, to be able to play that instrument. And what James is, in a sense, talking about is that when we have behaviors and we have beliefs and we have speech, and they're kind of tuned into different things, but they don't somehow uh, complement each other in something called life, 
then we don't have the tune yet. We're not completely tuned. And James is saying one of the ways we can evaluate tuning quickly is our tongue. And and that if we were to simply evaluate our speech, we can get an idea of what it looks like that we're actually believing. So he goes, goes on to illustrate how awesome that power is as far as your tongue goes in, in verses 3 and 4. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So he takes two examples of things that are positive. Being able to, uh, you know, in a sense, steer or guide an an a horse to wherever we want him to go, and taking this huge ship and being able to rudder it, even though there are winds that are way more severe than this little rudder. But it's not the winds that are going to determine the direction. They're simply going to be the power. <laughs> and so when we start looking at this idea of, of what is James inviting us to, He's saying, I want you to realize how powerful the tongue is. Not like be afraid of it. Engage it. When you can talk about a horse that really is trained well to obey a bit, uh, it's an amazing thing. I have a friend who lives out by Sandy, um, and he has uh, a few acres, and he has some horses, and he actually has a little arena, and he uh, was a high school um, uh, gym teacher, and now he just teaches kids how to ride horses. And uh, one of the things that he does is that he likes to um, do calf roping. Okay, and uh, so I'm looking at this horse, and when I walk into the barn, I'm afraid of his horses. You know, uh, he lives out in Sandy. When he comes over to North Portland, he's afraid of the traffic, and so it's kind of funny that we trade fears. But I walk into his barn, and I see these horses. And I'm kind of afraid. And he goes, "These are very expensive horses, Bill." And I'm going, "Okay, uh, why?" <laughs> he goes, "Because they're trained." has nothing to do with, with even the breed or, or, or their prowess. It has to do with the idea of how responsive they are to a rider and that they know how to be in an arena as a rodeo horse. Um, it's amazing that, that someone can just train a horse to do what, not what the horse wants, but what the rider wants. And James is saying, do you realize that the, the tongue is actually something that's more powerful than a bit? That, that we could actually train ourselves to be that responsive to the prompting of God that he could be pleased with how we live our lives, even with something as simple as our speech? And then he uses the rudder and the ship with the same kind of analogy saying it's It's fabulous that there's this huge ship that brings all kinds of things from one country to another in trade and and comes into a port and it gets sent out through the the trade routes throughout the entire Roman Empire. He's saying those ships are controlled by a small thing called a rudder. And he's going to go on to develop the power of the tongue here. But at that point, he's used two illustrations that make it incredibly... um, attractive, that there would be something that small and that powerful. And and it's interesting because when I was reading uh, different commentaries and sometimes even uh, different 
divisions of the paragraph in, in uh, James as far as how the Bible translations has put them there. Sometimes the, the heading starts to be the destructive power of the tongue. But that's not how James leads. He leads with the power of the tongue and saying that it could be used for good. It can be used for destruction. And so it isn't the tongue that needs to be monitored. It's how we're using the tongue uh, that needs to be evaluated. And so, you know, it, it isn't just, okay, I won't teach. Okay, I won't talk. Okay, I'll just kind of, and, and we can just kind of downshift. So I was reading how many words we use, you know, because like James warns in chapter 1, be quick to listen and slow to speak, trying to advise people not to be careless with their talk. I mean, there are estimates that uh, women speak somewhere between 15 and 20,000 words a day. Men speak about seven with gusts up to 10. Uh, but we kind of look at the idea of um, uh, if we were simply to talk as a normal day, by the end of the year, we will have spoken somewhere around 75 to 100 books uh, with over 200 pages each. I mean, you speak a lot. You can't imagine writing that many books, can you? But you say that many words in a given year. It's interesting how if we talked about writing a book, oh man, I'd have to sit down and craft the arc of the book and then each chapter and then uh, be able to fill it in with the different thoughts. But most of us just take off with words. There's no crafting of the arc of the sentence or the story or the concept. I'm just going to talk to you. And that's what James is saying is, do you understand your talking is as powerful as a rudder? Do you understand that your talking is as powerful as a bit? And yet somehow we just go on thoughtless autopilot thinking that life will be great. And he's saying that's not what faith looks like. Faith looks like someone who believes their words matter. That how I speak to someone can impact them in profound ways. That's what he's inviting us to is to be people of powerful speech. Not guilty of thoughtless speech, not avoiders of careless speech, but practicers of a faith-filled speech. That's, that's the invitation. So as we kind of move down through some more um, uh, verses here, picking up in verse 5, now he starts to outline a bit of the, the devastating power of a tongue used poorly. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Those are the dominant verses that people hear that say the tongue is not only powerful, but it's dangerous and evil. And he uses an example of a forest fire that is set on fire by a spark, and so our conversations or our lives can be set on fire by the words we say or the phrases that we, we parrot. And then he uh, talks about the idea that, that in a sense, it, it can void out our life. 
It sets the whole course of life on fire. Um, I'm just going to let you in on something that everyone here knows and I think you don't, that my wife and I get in arguments, okay? And when my wife and I get in an argument, I, I feel like a lot of times I have this well-crafted argument, and, and I'm just kind of laying it out. But at places where I'm laying it out, there's this not well-crafted rebuttal. Have you ever had that happen to you? You know, you're saying something that you think really makes sense, and something that's completely not related is there, and you're going, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And then it isn't like the argument gets evaluated anymore. Then it's, I don't like your tone. And I'm evaluating, I'm being evaluated by tone. And when I give the look like, are you kidding me, tone? Then it's, I don't like your face either. <laughs> and I'm losing this argument without ever saying a word, you know? It's just tone and face. I'm going, I can't do anything about the face. Kind of comes with the body, you know? I mean, this is it. This is as good as it gets. Can't trade up, can't turn it off. It's there, you know? If you don't like it, you know, that was something we should have talked about earlier. So as we're kind of looking at this idea of, of this argument here, uh, James is saying you can have a great articulation of your faith, but the world doesn't like your tone. You can have a great expression of orthodoxy, but they don't like the face of Christianity. No? And, and James is saying let's not void our faith with our tone. There's no way we have to be argumentative. There's no way we have to be uh, spiteful. There's no way that we have to be hateful in the conversations. And, and you know, I just want to take a moment and say, I think most of us guard our tongues way better than we guard our email. <laughs> there, there seems to be more guarding in the Christian community of vocabulary than there is of social media. And so I, I want to kind of let the lid open and say, James would say, can you just monitor what, what you're presenting? Can you just look at how you're saying some stuff? Can you think about someone else uh, and realize what they're going to read as your tone? <laughs> what they're going to read is how you said what you said, and you're thinking that what you said wins the day? And James is saying there's actually a how you say it that can void saying the best things. We can say our Christian faith in a way that voids the Christian faith. That's what James is talking about when he says the tongue can be a deadly fire or a deadly poison and it can ruin the whole thing. Not just what you say, but kind of making the tune from note of truth to note of presentation to note of interaction to note of compassion, that it plays together. It fits together rather than you have this constant discord of this thing called the tongue. James is saying it becomes almost like a blood pressure cuff that, that you, you, when you take your blood pressure, you know something's going on in the inside. And when we hear language that's toned with anger or toned with bitterness or toned with an urgency to win an argument, the tone indicates a heart that's out of tune. Jesus said that it's from the mouth that the heart is revealed. And James is reiterating the same thing. I mean, James 
shares the same mom as Jesus. That's part of what's going on in their culture is that how they said things mattered. And it really hasn't changed, although how we say things has multiplied. But the urgency of being able to say, I don't want my faith to be trumped by a poor tone. I don't want my faith to be trumped by the way I'm saying things trumps down what I'm saying. James is saying we can, we can destroy our whole life just by being filled with an articulation of bitterness, but it got clothed in something called Christianity. An articulation of triumphalism, but it gets clothed in something called Christianity. At those moments, we've started to drift away from faith and simply owned the articulation. And that's when, John, when James is saying, saying or using your tongue, your speech, can devastate. And it doesn't even matter what you're saying. It's that you've devastated someone or you have somehow turned it around and, and it no longer says what you wanted it to say because of how you said it. He ends that kind of destructive piece by saying, it's untamable. And that makes me feel hopeless. <laughs> I mean, if, you know, I'm hearing someone say what I've just said, I'm going, okay, I'm going to latch down and tighten uh, the reins and guard uh, the tongue. And James is going, bad news, it's not even tameable. And it puts us in a place of needing faith. It puts us in a place where we don't get to say, I'll handle it. But that the faith it takes to walk with God, the faith it takes to consider trials as having an end game that makes my character more like Christ, considering people and not showing partiality, considering faith and making sure that I have a behavior that lines up with it, now simply considering faith and making sure that my mouth lines up with it still takes an act of God. And that's the part we really resist. We want to build something we can give God rather than ask him to do it with us. You know? so, so let's move on a little bit because now he loops back into that consistent element of faith in verse 9. So with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I mean, James is a master of analogy and illustration. This goes from uh, uh, salt water to fresh water, and the, uh, the salt spring can't produce fresh water. He takes grape vines and says they can't produce figs. I mean, on and on, he's just kind of using illustrations in everyday life to say what made us think that it couldn't happen over there, but it's okay here, like in our life. So as he contrasts this idea of being able to say, what does it look like for a faith person 
to talk. He's not talking about the idea that what it looks like is that person who never say, says anything wrong. He's already told us none of us are perfect. He's not saying that, that it's, it, we're gaining on it because he's saying it's not even tameable. It looks like somebody who their inside bleeds out so that when you are believing God, it somehow impacts your speech. When you're loving someone else, it impacts your speech. So I want to take a couple of minutes and have you hear how God uses his word. Okay? Because I think he uses his word to reveal himself. In Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Those are God's words describing himself. He reveals himself with his words. Okay? Uh, so an inappropriate use of revealing would be to say, I know why you did that, and I am, I am now telling you what's going on in your heart, rather than using my words to tell you what's going on in my heart. The Lord's saying, I'm slow to anger. I'm gracious. I'm compassionate. He discloses himself to us. Second thing God does is that he declares his love. Even in connecting the dots between the action of Jesus and the action of the Father sending Jesus, the death of Jesus for us, uh, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God uses his words to express his love. He reveals himself. He expresses his love. And I think he uses his words to restore hearts. So I'm going to read a verse out of Jeremiah, but I want you to understand it's in the middle of a prophecy Jeremiah makes where he's, going, he's telling Israel, you're going to spend 70 years as slaves in Babylon. There's nothing good about that. No one's going, well, at least it's not 80. You know, I mean, 70 years is a bad, a bad message, okay? And, and right in the midst of that message, here are the words um, that Jeremiah records from God saying this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. They would kind of say, well, your actions are voiding out your message. And Jesus is saying, or, you know, God is saying through Jeremiah, I want you to understand, I'm even going to take this trial. And I'm going to forge you into a people called my own. And, and that was their invitation. Trust a God who has a plan for you. Plans not for evil, even though you're evil, uh, you have an evil captor. But trust that God is going to shape you for himself. And so uh, it's in that context that he says, I have this plan for you. He uses his words to restore to the heart of a people who are still in captivity hope. Hope in me. Trust me with your future. So, so I want you to hear the idea of 
God isn't asking us to do something with our speech that he doesn't do. He reveals himself. He declares his love. He restores souls. And that's what we get to do with our speech. That's what people of faith are able to do with their speech is reveal who they are because we've been made new people in Christ. There, there shouldn't be a fear in us for somebody to catch us being us. But there's a constant fear of being caught of who we are because we think we're so inconsistent and we get our identity from the inconsistency rather than from the work of Christ. And when we can get our identity in the work of Christ, we can be as real as we want to be because we're not named by our faults. We're named by our redemption. We're named by our restoration. We're named by our freedom. And we can disclose ourselves. And we can declare love to another person not so that they'll change, but because we're in the middle of changing. We declare to them the love God's given us for them. And then we're able to come to a place of being able to restore their heart, saying the truths of God towards them, that he loves them, that he has um, a story that he invites us into that's redemptive by nature. So, I want to um, invite you to a table today. And, and I want to invite you to a table where this is the action of God. But it says something too. And I want to read some verses out of 100, Psalm 103 as I close. And I just want you to hear these as your invitation to this table as the words of God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a fa father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are but dust. God, God knows our limitations and declares love restores our soul when our own inside language would be condemnation. So I want to invite you today to a God who says, I have a plan for you, one for hope and not disaster, one where you would walk with me, not be alienated from me. And that in so doing, faith in that kind of God would look like someone who is honest to be able to disclose himself to others, to declare their love and the love of God to someone else and be able to restore the soul of a wounded person. That that's what words are for. That's what the tongue is for. And, and that God desires us to not fear our tongue because of its potential for being evil, not to somehow shut down our words because they can be careless but to use faith 
and words together to advance God's kingdom. So I want to invite you to a table today where God has said, as far as the east is from the west, I will remove your sin from you. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, and that's called grace. So let me uh, pray that that might be your experience today. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you could just speak words of judgment and condemnation to us, and you choose not to. That you could let us discover love and project our definition of love onto you, but you don't. You disclose yourself as slow to anger and compassionate. That you use your speech. You give us your word that we might have a faith that then speaks well of you and well of each other. So God, I, I want to pray that today each person that comes to this table might hear from you that they are loved in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.